Great to be back again this morning and to gather as a family of God. I'll ask you to take your Bibles and open them with me to our study of Luke's Gospel. We find ourselves again in chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, as we began last Lord's Day to study what has been known for centuries as the Lord's Prayer. Told you last week, it's more accurately ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer or even the Christians' Prayer, if not for the simple fact that there are words recorded here in this prayer that Jesus himself would never and could never have prayed. Jesus certainly would never have needed to ask for forgiveness of any sin since he is God incarnate. But for years, people have called it the Lord's Prayer. Many repeat it over and over again as if it's some kind of formula by which God will hear us because it's the words here. With all of that said, there is much here for us to learn about prayer, and its intent is not to give us words that we are to be constantly repeating over and over again to God as is done by some of the religions in the world, but rather is to be giving us a structure for what praying is to follow. This is really a structure for prayer. And as we were studying this last time, we learned that this teaching on prayer is first focused on God. In other words, it's focused upward, and then it turns to requests for man, talking to God about God, and then talking to God about man. So it begins vertically with our relationship with God, and then turns to the horizontal reality. And so it begins here with us addressing, as we saw last week, with God as Father. So in the context of Luke, here is one of the followers of Jesus Christ as they have been going throughout the region as Jesus now is on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through the small towns and the villages on the way and he has sent out those who have gone out to prepare that way for him as he enters into these towns to share the gospel with them. And one who is his follower, or one of the followers of him, probably more specifically, one of the many disciples who had followed Jesus, want him to teach them to pray. <clears throat> and it was common among the rabbis of the time, he was really asking for a prayer. Give us a prayer to pray, as we <clears throat> saw possibly even John the Baptist had done with his disciples, as it says there in verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So there's some indication there that maybe some of John's disciples were going around repeating things that John had been praying and saying that John had taught them to pray in some kind of way and they want Jesus to have some kind of prayer for them. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this or say, first of all, Father, in other words, address God as your Father. We've seen in Romans chapter 8, Abba, Father.
Father. That's the idea, this intimate relationship with God, the Creator God. We address Him as Father in that way. He is our Father. That would have been a shocking reality to every Jew. They never addressed God with that kind of personal acknowledgement. God certainly in their heart and in their mind, they understood God the Father to be that which was the one who created all things. He is the Father of all creation, but not in some personal relationship with them. It was a fearful thing, particularly as they had the heritage from the Old Testament where God was speaking from them from the mountain, and they feared even going near the mountain, let alone they would be consumed. And yet here is Jesus saying to them and to us that when we pray, we must understand that the foundation of our prayers is built upon the reality of going to God who is our personal Father. We have that kind of relationship with the Creator. And then it is upon that foundation that we can make these first two requests that we saw last week, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come there in verse 2. In other words, the desire for the very character and nature of God to be revered, for His kingdom to be on earth in all ways. And that carries implications as we looked at them last week for our very lives, as we live out our lives as Christians, those who have a relationship with God For when we request for the name of God to be held up as holy, which is what hallowed really means, that God's name would be elevated or revered in all things or held as holy, we're asking for that to be reflected not only in the world at large, but in our very lives. We are part of the very prayer by way of our asking for God's name to be hallowed. And so in the same vein, when we ask for His kingdom to come, there are implications for that reality in which His kingdom is to not only rule all things around, as we know He sovereignly rules all things, and yet we want that to come to earth in a practical aspect, as it will when Jesus Christ returns, but at the same time, it is our desire to have it rule here and now in our hearts. And so this prayer begins in that way. It begins with acknowledging God's place in our lives as Father, that He is not only Father, but He is ruler, and therefore our lives are to be committed to Him through repentance and obedience living here and now. That's just kind of a review of where we've been and that vertical structure, if you will, when it comes to prayer. And following that then is the horizontal structure. And it, it bears out three requests here for us that we'll look at this morning. Three requests. It's a prayer for food. It is a prayer for forgiveness. And it is a prayer for fortitude. Food, forgiveness, and fortitude. Let me just read it for us again here, beginning in verse 2. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
lead us not into temptation. These are the three requests made on the horizontal level before our Father. Food, forgiveness, and fortitude. The first horizontal request is simply that for food. Verse 3 says, give us each day our daily bread. That seems like a pretty basic request. Give us each day our daily bread. But it's not that simple. It's not that basic. It's not that mundane. Certainly includes that, but there's more to it than that. And I want us to meditate on this for a moment because the meaning or the the essence of what is being said here hinges on this word daily. Daily. Give us each day our daily bread. It's interesting that when you read this prayer in various translations, some of them read this way. Give us each day our bread of tomorrow. Give us each day our bread of tomorrow. I find that interesting. And so I ask the question, why does it read that way? Why does it read that way? Because that is the translation that is found in a book called the Gospel of the Nazarenes. In that book, this prayer is listed, and it quotes a Hebrew word, mahar, which is used, and the word means tomorrow. Tomorrow. That word is used as the translation from the Greek word into a Hebrew translation so that the verse reads, give us each day our bread of tomorrow. Now, the Gospel of the Nazarenes is not inscripturated. It is extra-biblical literature. And so some New Testament scholars have concluded that the literal translation is to be that, to be our bread of tomorrow, give us that today. Almost seems to be indicating that we're praying that we're taking a loan out on tomorrow's bread that we might have it today, which seems rather ridiculous to me. But if you pray this in the morning, they say, you are asking for the needs for today. And if you pray it in the evening, then you are asking for the needs of tomorrow. I think that's a whole lot of hogwash, frankly. Because regardless of those things, the essence is the same, is it not? God, provide for me what I need daily. That's the idea. God, provide for me what I need daily. And so implicationally, this is a request for our material needs. This is a request whereby we go to God asking for God to provide our needs. And you notice that we are not taught here by Jesus to pray for wants. God is so gracious as our Father. He cares for our daily needs. And that has implications for our thinking. It has implications for our living. Well, you say what? Why? Because we are to pray that God would supply our needs for today. Daily needs. 
And that implies that he actually knows them. In other words, if we are going to go to God and ask God to provide for me what I need for today, we are within those very words implying an understanding that God knows what I need. For if he didn't know what I needed, then he could not supply what I needed. And so in going to God and asking for my daily needs, I am understanding that he actually knows them. And at best, we have to understand that what we think we need may not be what we need. And so when we go to God in prayer and we begin to petition him for that which we think we need and are thoughts may or may not coincide with what our real need is, what we are asking God to do is to fulfill His knowledge, to work out His understanding, His knowledge of our need, and that may mean that from our perspective, we go without. Because while we may pray for food, while we may pray for housing, while we may pray for the essential necessities of life like gasoline, and while we may pray for our health to get better and stuff of this world to have so that we don't go without, our daily need may not be any of those things. Or at the amount that we believe we need them. And so here embedded within the very request is dependence and trust. Embedded right here within the request on a horizontal level as we go to our Father, desiring that He be revered above all things and that His kingdom be flourishing not only in my own heart but in the earth, we are asking that He give us only what we need and that very reality means that I am dependent upon Him and trusting in Him for all of those things. So there isn't any other part of the structure of what we are taught here that challenge us in this way. There's no other part of this structure that really challenges us in that reality whereby we are dependent and trusting in God. You say, why do you say that? Because as I think about my own life, and I am sure all of us here would agree, we worry far too much about what we do not have rather than rejoicing what God has actually given to us. Far more often we think about the things that we are without rather than rejoicing in the things that we have. We worry about financial security. How will we ever get through tomorrow, particularly in our day and age as prices seems to go up and up everywhere? We wonder, what about this? What about that? What about this need? What about that need? What about what I think I'm doing without. But Jesus, beloved, is telling us that whether we have an abundance or whether we do not, each and every one of us is to be dependent upon our Father for our daily need. He desires us to pray for not only our daily physical need, give us each day our daily bread, But that means also that we are dependent upon Him to give us not only what is needed, but no more than is needed. 
And so implicationally, can we not include there then our spiritual need? Not only do I desire, Lord, for you to give me my daily physical need and no more than I need, but also my spiritual need for every day. So as much as we need physical bread, we cannot survive without spiritual bread. So in other words, I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, as I come to you, as I pray before you, give me an understanding and nourishment from your word that is necessary for today that I might grow in Christ's likeness. Give me today what I need in order to be like my Savior. Oh, that's going to challenge us. That's going to challenge us because that means there there are things in my life that must change. There are things in my life that God wants to edit out, that God wants to shave off, that God wants to scrape away. There are things in my life that God is working on to change me into the image and likeness of His Son. And that means in my daily provision that He gives me spiritually, there will be challenges. Sometimes the knife will come out and divide down to the thoughts and intentions of my heart. And so that means that while I am praying for God's help, what I am praying for really is help in persevering, persevering in trusting Him, in submission to Him, in what I learn from His Word. And again, it is a prayer of dependence upon God, dependence upon Him for all things. When you pray... Have in your mind and your heart God as your Father. Desire for His holiness in who He is and His character to be revered not only by you, but others in which you may have influence and others around you and the world at large. And desire in your heart for His kingdom to come. And therefore in that kingdom rulership to come, it needs to be in your own heart, your submission to Him as rulers, your submission to Him as King. And therefore ask of Him to provide for you what you need for your daily supply, what you need for today, what you need to grow in Christ-likeness as much as it is the physical need of the daily sustenance to provide for physical life. Give me what I need for today. Pray for food, spiritual, physical Secondly, he says this, notice we pray for forgiveness. Forgiveness and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I was reading recently a story of two sisters who lived together. This was years ago. And they shared a little small home. Now, on one occasion, these two single sisters, they got into an argument over some, imagine it, theological topic. Maybe it was around the Thanksgiving table. Not sure. They brought up some theological thing. We're not sure. But they got into an argument about it, and the argument was so bad that they stopped talking to each other altogether. In fact, 
They were so embittered with one another that they never spoke to each other ever again. They lived in a small home together. And so they began to separate themselves in the small home by drawing lines on the floor and on the doors in which each person would remain so that they didn't have to interact with one another at all. And so they lived together, but actually apart, in silence. So here you had two sisters, most likely professing believers because they knew some theology, and yet miserable for the rest of their lives, while potentially they were opening their Bibles to read a passage like this. They weren't hearing what they were reading. How can a Christian stay unreconciled to another person? Think about it. Think about it this morning. How can a Christian stay unreconciled to another person and still open their Bible and read the Gospels? How can we say, Father, hallowed be your name, and remain hateful in our hearts? How can we go to our Father and ask that He supply our daily bread, both physically and spiritually, and yet stay estranged to one another? How can we ask God to forgive us when we harbor unforgiven offenses against others? I mean, Jesus said, here is what we are to be asking here. Here's the structure of it. We need forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. Why? Why? Forgive because, because we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. That's what it says. Forgive us our sins, Father, because or for we ourselves also forgive Everyone who's indebted to us. There's an acknowledgement there that I am indebted to God for sins committed against Him, and therefore, on the basis of that, I'm asking for forgiveness. There's no way anyone who truly and heartfully allows these words to come from their mouths with meaning can remain unforgiving. I read it this morning, Matthew chapter 6 says the same thing, forgive us our debts, meaning our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. So think about it, think what this is implying, think about the implication of this in our everyday lives because it is implying that forgiveness from God is the condition that we are living before we ever come to God and ask Him to forgive us. Forgive us because in our condition we are, we are forgiving others and so we're asking that of you for us because that's what we're doing. And when you look at the grammar of this, 
Luke uses a present tense verb here, which means that we are to have a continual attitude of forgiveness. In other words, it's not moment by moment, oh, I'm just forgiving. No, this is our attitude continually. Lord, forgive our sins because in my heart and in my attitude and in my life and the outflow of my life, this is who I am by my very being. I'm just a forgiving person. In other words, forgiveness is to be the truth that rules our hearts as those who come to God for forgiveness. So if we are going to ask God to forgive us, we better have a heart of forgiveness to others. Think about it. If you ask God to forgive you as you have forgiven or as you are not forgiving. If you say, God forgive me, and you are not forgiving someone else, you are actually asking God to not forgive you. You come to God and say, God forgive me of my sins, but in your heart there isn't forgiveness for something that you have against somebody, some bitterness, some issue, some some struggle in your heart with somebody else, some Christian, some other brother, and you don't have forgiveness. You're actually saying to God, listen God, I'm asking you for forgiveness, but I really don't want you to forgive me because I don't forgive either. The scriptures are clear. James chapter 2 Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, it says. Matthew chapter 18, verse 32 to 35 says this, Then his master summoned him and said to him, you remember this is the the debtor, the one who owes a great debt, who was forgiven by the master, and then after he's forgiven, he goes out and he holds his brother accountable for such a small amount. And so he is reported to his master, and the master summons him and says to him, verse 32, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So, Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. A sign of true Christianity, beloved, is that true believers are forgiven and therefore they forgive. I know what we're thinking. I know what's going on in our minds because it goes on in my own heart. Listen, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle at times to forgive. You go, yes, it is. It is a struggle. Why? Because we love ourselves so much. We have a love relationship with me. And forgiveness doesn't come naturally to our fallen flesh. We are to have the spirit of forgiveness in our hearts because we have the spirit of Christ living in us. 
We have it through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's a warning here. There's a warning here for those who claim to know Christ, but refuse to forgive and have no desire to forgive. This is a warning. You say, how is it a warning? It's a warning that we need to ask ourselves, are our most tightly held possessions, think about it, are the things we hold so tightly in life, the bitterness and complaints we have against others? Oh, we hold a lot of material goods very tightly. We don't want to get rid of those things. If God starts taking those away, we start to complain. And if God removes them through the means of some other brother and sister that now angers us and we are bitter and our complaints are the most prized possessions that we have. And if that's the case, then we need to question the genuineness of our claim to faith in Christ. This is the character of a Christian. Right here, right here in this structure is self-evaluation. Self-evaluation, look at your heart. This is God's scalpel cutting as it goes in and cutting as it comes out. This is the reality, and it only takes honesty with ourselves to get a correct diagnosis. You want to know what your spiritual health is? Healthy Christians are forgiving people. Healthy Christians are forgiving people. So right here, right now, ask yourself in your heart before God, do you need to forgive someone in your home? Maybe your spouse. Maybe your child might be refreshing for some of our children to see a parent come to them asking for forgiveness, realizing that a relationship with Jesus Christ actually has an effect upon your life. Maybe it's a child who has been unwilling to forgive a parent because they're embittered at the rules that the parent have laid out for them. <coughs> Maybe it's an employer that you need to forgive. Or maybe it's leadership in the church you've been embittered against because of some decision you didn't like. God says, listen, there's no point in coming to me with your requests unless you're forgiving others. So if you have something to forgive, do it right now. Do it right here. Do it today. Don't let another moment go by without being right with God through being right in your heart with others. There's a forgiveness that must take place. Then, then that also means that you will have to go to the one to whom you've been embittered against and let them know that you've forgiven them. I had a conversation recently with some men who were embittered against this church for quite some time. And they wanted to talk with the leadership of our church, and so we met with them and had a great opportunity to talk with them and share with them why we were kind of confused about it all. 
but we weren't embittered against them at all, and they were thankful of that. And they said, well, how do we move forward now? I said, well, you need to go back and tell anybody else who's been embittered against us for some reason. You need to go tell them that you're no longer embittered against us and that we're not the people you thought we were. Forgiveness. This is what forgiveness does. And so we ask God here for our daily bread. We ask God for forgiveness. And forgiveness is not simply part of it. It means more than all of that. Right? Forgiveness carries greater ramifications with God than we might like to think. And so Jesus says, when you pray, go to God as Father, have reverence for Him in His name and desire that His own reflection of His character be seen not only in your own life, but in the world. Desire His kingdom to rule in all things. Desire... The reality of kingdom rulership in your own heart as well as Christ to come and rule here. Depend upon Him for your daily needs, both physically and spiritually, but in doing so, come to Him with a heart that is filled with forgiveness for it is those to whom God will hear. And finally, pray for fortitude. He says in verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Fortitude. Food, forgiveness, and fortitude. You say, why do I say fortitude? Because I think this is part of the structure that is sometimes often misunderstood as to what is being said here. It seems that when you read this, particularly here in the English, it seems that It's saying that by way of implication that God is the one who leads us to be tempted. Lead us not into temptation. But that cannot be any less true than the words here being words that Jesus Christ himself could not even pray about forgiveness. The Bible is clear. God does not tempt. Again, James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So this cannot be saying that God leads us into some kind of temptation. God doesn't do that. In fact, the original word here for temptation means enticement, sometimes That's an enticement to engage in sin. But it also has the idea of trial or testing. And so here the idea is that if we yield to the testing, if we yield to the temptation, it will lead us into sin. Therefore, what is being asked here is for fortitude. Fortitude or strength against the temptation. We might even say it's perseverance that we're asking for. In other words, God, preserve me, give me strength, preserve me in strength when I'm tempted. In other words, don't don't allow me to stumble and succumb to it. And therefore, when we see it that way, 
we can now understand that that which God allows for our testing, what God allows for our our trials is actually strengthening and is good for us. So we're not asking God to remove the trial, to remove the difficulty, to remove that which I need to learn to walk through. We are asking God, strengthen us in it. Give us fortitude in it. That is simply to say that it is through struggle, it is through trial that we grow. We know that. Jesus' ministry started that way. Even our Lord Himself began 40 days and nights being tempted in every way. And though and through it, He was strengthened so that when it came to the Garden of Gethsemane, what did He say? Not my will, but thine be done. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, in fact, puts it this way concerning Christ. In reference to us, it says, For it was fitting that he, that is God the Father, for whom all and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That doesn't mean that Jesus was not perfect and that he had to be made perfect in his humanity, but the exercise of that perfection was seen more and more again as he suffered through the trials and temptations of life. And so we can say, like we do in our own vernacular, what is good for the goose is good for the gander, right? What's good for Christ is good for us. If suffering in and through temptation strengthened the humanity of Jesus Christ, how much more will it for us? So when we, by means of the fortitude given to us through the Spirit of God, resist temptation, and we follow instead the will of God, that builds God-like character in us. And so this is what we are asking in our prayers. Father, give me spiritual fortitude. This is why James again says in James chapter 1, consider it all joy when you face what? Multicolored trials, multicolored. You could even use the word temptations there. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This is what is being said here. Jesus is not saying that we ought to be praying that God remove from us the temptations. No. That God would give us strength to walk in resistance to them when they come. And so what we are asking from God is fortitude, strength, spiritual strength, because we understand our weakness. That part of His provision of strength is to strengthen us in the, in the temptation as they come. He gives us what we need to walk through it, to endure it. We are vulnerable to fall without that. And so, lead us not into temptation is a request for God to provide us with the spiritual fortitude to stand against it. For His gracious mitigation of the potential danger of being crushed by it.
What's the bottom line of all this? Bottom line in all of this is that God desires for us, His children, to be knowingly dependent upon Him. Knowingly dependent upon Him. He is Father. And it is to be our desire that His name and His kingdom be honored. When we think like that, our lives are edited by that because we think about all the ways in which maybe our life isn't honoring His name and His character. But also, the bottom line is that our dependence would be reflected in our trust and thoughtfulness about all that God does for us as He provides for us just what we need for today. I don't need anything for tomorrow. Tomorrow may not ever come. I need today. No more, no less. And that means that it may seem that at times I may be missing out on what I think I might need. Because for God's glory and for our good, He has not given it to us. We cannot forget His character. He always gives what we need. We never lack. Even if we miss out, we're not lacking. And so we come to our Father, who is a forgiving Father, and we come to Him with that kind of heart, asking that He forgive us as we have forgiven in that same way. And therefore, we have to always be ready and willing to forgive. Know that whatever the temptation is, whatever it is, whatever God allows before us, God is our strength. He's our strength. Without Him, we just fold under the pressure. And so we humbly ask for fortitude to resist. Lord, strengthen my fortitude. This is our prayer. This is our prayer. Now here's the other question. Can we expect God to answer that? Well, you know what I'm going to say next time. Can we expect God to answer that? If you want to know, you can read ahead. Let's pray together. Father, you are such a loving God. So gracious, so wonderful, so caring, always doing exactly what is best for us. And so, Lord, we do pray, as Jesus taught, that you would have your name hallowed in our heart and in the lives of those with whom we come in contact and the world at large. And we pray that the reflection of your rulership would be seen in our lives, that your kingdom would be seen in us, and that it would come quickly. And Lord, we do ask that you would provide for us exactly what we need for each day, whether that be the physical requirements of life or the spiritual needs that we have, for you see the secret things of the heart. So give to us what we need so that we would not in any way 
because of lack of practice or because of our foolishness cause your name to be unhallowed. And Lord, thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. May that spirit be in our hearts as we deal with one another. Or when we are sinned against, may we quickly forgive just as you have forgiven us. So that when we come to you, we can honestly and openly and with integrity ask and thank you for the forgiveness you have given us and ask that we be continually forgiven because the reality of our life and reflection to you and the forgiving attitude that we have. And Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us to continue. Strengthen us to stand strong. No matter what you allow, no matter what you bring upon our lives, allow your word to fortify us so that we are immovable on the truth. And so that we can just point to you and say, it's all God, it's none of me. Bless your name in and through us, we pray as your people. Because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen.